We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. And as we record, the Lakers pretty much have their roster set, and it's going to be really nice to talk about having a team after they had, you know, three or four guys under contract. We didn't know what it would look like, and now we do. And so we're going to start a little mini-series of sorts where we preview the roster and what we think it's going to be like going forward. We're going to start out, this team is has a really unique construction in that a lot of the playmakers on the team are front court players. LeBron James, there's been the rumor of uh, him moving to the point guard position, which Frank Vogel pushed back on during an interview at Summer League. But it, you know, LeBron's always kind of played point guard anyway, so it may be a matter of semantics there. But he is 6'8", and, you know, 250, and... You've got DeMarcus Cousins, who's one of the better passing bigs in the league. Anthony Davis is a solid passer, but a remarkable ball handler. And I would argue the best ball handling big in the entire league. So the the construction of this roster is really interesting in that that's not how you usually see things going. Darius, Darius has started a series over at Forum Blue and Gold where he talks about this. And this is actually the first topic that he covered is the bigs as playmakers. So we're going to cover that in this episode and what we think that looks like. Darius, let's start out with Anthony Davis, him being the big acquisition of the offseason, the 26-year-old superstar. He's been a guy that as I've gone through the tape that, again, his, his ball handling ability, man, is just out of this world for a big. He had that famed growth spurt where he was a point guard with like one division one offer in 
in his sophomore year, and then he sprung up to 6'10", 6'11", the following year, and became the most you know coveted recruit in the country. And he was able to maintain a lot of those ball handling skills. How do you see Anthony Davis's role on this team in terms of how the offense runs and going beyond just his immense individual talent? Yeah, it's interesting. So you brought up sort sort of the series of posts that I'm starting at at Forum Blue and Gold, and it for me the idea for the big man goes beyond just play playmaking and into like individual and team shot creation as well. And so Davis is to me probably the player where his ability as a playmaker or shot creator gears more towards the shot creation side than it does from a typical playmaking side. Can you explain the distinction of that? Yeah, so I think that a playmaker I would I would label that guy more like LeBron James, someone who is attacking off of the dribble but is someone who is going to t- tally a high number of of assists not only because he can handle the ball at the top of the floor and sort of initiate an offensive set or is comfortable um in that position as as play source sort of unfold in front of him but but someone who when he is in attack mode and sort of looking to score or threatening the defense his his passing instincts are so great that he's going to instinctively sort sort of set up teammates and and uh, create easier shots for them. Um, from a shot creation standpoint, LeBron obviously does does that very well too, right? Someone who is breaking down the defense from either top of the key or the low post or coming out out of the pick and roll. He's getting downhill. He's he's scoring at the rim. He he's doing everything and just in terms of a shot creation standpoint for himself. First and then secondary shot shot creation, I feel is more what playmaking would sort sort of look like. Does that sort of line up with how you would define it? Or yeah, or? no, that no, that's in line with with where I go with that. Is that Anthony Davis is like the oh crap, we got to have two guys on him, or he's going to put up fifty. Like, dude, I'm sure all the listeners have seen this too. But just his his box, some of the lines that he puts up, like forty seven and twenty two, and just like it's like really like this. So he's one of those dudes that like he will just keep going and going and. Going going and going until you at until you put that extra attention onto him so it's kind of similar to what Kobe's gravity was Kobe was a better passer than I think he ever got credit for but Kobe's real impact was that like oh crap that's Kobe we gotta send multiple guys to him and that just makes everybody's lives easier Davis was always a guy in in New Orleans where he was always plus nine plus ten in terms of the on off per 100 possessions, which is a massive number, right? Because he just makes everyone else's lives so much easier. And I'm really excited to see him alongside another guy who's going to make his life easier. You know, Drew Holiday is a great player, but he's not LeBron James, right? So Davis does have that individual gravity and you can use him to operate off of, and I'll talk more about this when, when we get back to me, but he has more of that value as that shot creator for himself and then drawing that extra attention from the defense. Yeah. And I think too, what and you've looked at the tape much more in depth than than I have at this point. But I don't necessarily see Davis as a next level passer. 
no, what what not. I see him as as someone is oh you're sending a second defender on to me well am I still able to score like how big is a second defender <laughs> right right does it even like, matter yeah yeah like are you sending a point guard at me to double team like I'm just going to shoot over the top of both of these guys or I'm quick enough to sort of drive away from that guy and a big man doesn't have good enough foot speed to necessarily contain me to right. to that spot and if he actually is jammed up i see him as making more of the first simple pass out that then puts a defense into rotation rather right. than the guy who beats rotation with a next level pass a la a lebron james and so when i talk about like playmaking versus shot creation davis to me skews much more towards shot creation than playmaking if that makes sense it does. I think we're going to see a lot of Anthony Davis at the top of the key. The way that New Orleans would do this, and I suspect that the Lakers will do something similar. Now, now Davis is a guy you can put anywhere. I was geeking out tonight watching him come off of wide pin downs where he was the shooter in the corner and a guard sets a pin down for him and he knocks down a three. I'm like, are you serious, right? And, but I, where they put him mostly, and I think this will be similar with the Lakers, is at the top of the key. I always uh, think of Nikola Jokic in Denver as being a guy that he's at the top of the key. Guys are guys are setting screens, running off of screens. All the smaller players are doing that. He's surveying over the top like that big point guard type, hitting the guys who are open as they come off of, of the screens, roll popping, curling, all of that, right? Davis does that similar, but he he did a lot of handoffs, right? Well, he yeah. would, where he would dribble at guys. He would dribble at that shooter, and if the guy wants to go under the screen on Davis, then he's going to hand that off to the guy, and that guy's going to take a three. And the Lakers actually have shooters now that are going to be able to make that shot on a regular basis. If they go if if they overcorrect toward the shooter he's going to do a fake handoff fake handoffs are one of my favorite actions in the NBA where a guy you know fakes like he's going to do that and then drives to the basket he's great at that um he knows when to hit hit a guy coming off of that pin down but that action kind of at the top of the key that will allow everyone else especially in lineups when Le, where LeBron is not in the lineup you can put I, I'd like either LeBron or Anthony Davis to be on the court for all 48 minutes. I think that's that they're both, you know, centerpieces of an offense. So you have them on the court for one of them on the court for the whole game and then play them together during those, you know, first part of the first quarter, first part of the third quarter, and then closing down both the end of the halves. Um, but you can have you can run the offense around AD in that way when LeBron's not on the court, and then the pick and roll spacing when they're together is is can really be some next level stuff. So I, one of the things I'm just so excited that AD like he's doing he did all of this where he was the main guy like the only guy that people were really really worried about, and I wonder I, I don't think it's going to need that they're going to need him to make those next level reads that you're talking about. But I do think that just as a function of his offensive gravity, he's going to create a lot of really open looks for a, a team that's much better from in terms of outside shooting. Yeah. I was going to say too, that just you talk talking about there, there is a ton of just standard basic NBA action stuff. There's that, like probably 60%, 70% overlap from one offense to the next. You're absolutely right about that. That just works well. And Davis 
does all of that stuff very easily, right? Just as a general big man stuff because he is one of the, if not the elite skill big men in the entire league. And so all of that stuff that you talk talked about in terms of handoff actions, either right at the top of the key or or even like shallow elbow stuff or or extended wing, right? Like some of the stuff that Philly ran with between Joel Embiid and J.J. Redick for example, right? Like handoff actions that can turn into jump shots for the guards or or handoff pullback and then now get the ball back for a mid-range post-up, turn and face, attack off of the dribble, right? Like there, there are so many things that just flow naturally out of that. I, one, one of the things that I envisioned with Davis too, because he's such a strong defensive rebounder is that he's going to have a lot of grab-and-go opportunities, not necessarily mm-hmm. for transition, like pure pure transition opportunities, but for early offense, where if one of the things I'd be very interested in as the team gets into training camp, for for example, is, and, and this goes back to the idea about big men as playmakers, because this isn't just true for Davis, but it's true for like LeBron, and it's also true even for DeMarcus Cousins, is... What are their early offense principles? Mm-hmm. What do those look like in order to optimize all five players on the floor, considering the skill level that your big men have to sort of like grab and go, if not necessarily at an elite pace, but at a pace while the defense is sort of not yet set in they're in transition defense. They might be cross-matched, Right. Especially if LeBron James is playing point guard, then are the defensive matchups the same on both sides of the floor? And as guys are sort of scrambling to match up, if your center or power forward can be a primary ball handler in early offense situations, you can then create advantage really easily if you have strong principles offensively. And and that's one of the really sort of big things that I can think of from a playmaking and shot creation standpoint that Davis can can bring to the table just because he's such a good ball handler and mm-hmm. he's so good in transition that he has to be respected with the ball in his hand basically once he crosses half court because the guy who is typically guarding him is not equipped to do so in space. That's absolutely right. And he is he's a complete transition player in that he checks off at their four or five boxes, I would say, that a guy needs to check or not needs to, but if he can check off all of them, he's an elite transition guy. And Davis is one of them is he can grab and go, like you said, and he can lead the break, whether it's going coast to coast as a scorer or making some really nice passing reads in transition. I think that's where he's at his best as a passer in terms of making, I don't want to say sophisticated reads, but just like, oh, damn, that's a nice, like, nice pass. You know, he read whether he needed to make a nice hard chest pass there, a bounce pass, lob it over the top. He does really good work in in the open floor in that respect. So he can grab and go and lead the break. He can fill the wing alongside LeBron and keep up with LeBron, which is unbelievable. Or he can be a rim runner beating those bigs down the court, right? Those other fives that aren't running the court as hard as he does and he gets a lot of easy buckets off of that and on top of that his three-point shooting is really interesting where there's a significant difference between when he's moving left and right versus when he gets to step into his shot he's really good when he's able to step into his shot so those trailer type threes where lebron pushes the ball up court and ad say got the defensive rebound and outletted to that and ad's the last guy up 
AD gets a clean look stepping into a three at the top of the key, he can he can make that, right? So the possibilities are really exciting. And as I get into more of the tape, one of the things that I, I'm more and more cognizant of, and I want to ask you about this, is how difficult we made things on LeBron last year in yes. terms of spacing. And, you know, the, I was like, man, you know, LeBron's not able to beat bigs off of the dribble on switches. And, and I'm sure part of that is true, right? Like that he's lost a step. It, there's, it's only natural to, with that sort of mileage and, and years that he has, to lose that. But what I see on tape over and over again from really looking at it in this way is like, oh, it's spacing, right? It's yeah. people taking two extra steps off of Rondo, one extra step off of Alonzo and Brandon. Or uh, even Kuzma. Kuzma. What? Yes, yes. None of the Lakers shooters had respect last yes. season. Like it was, oh, okay, KCP, like you you actually have to hit two or three of these in the mm -hmm. row before the defense actually starts to respect you in in a way where it's beneficial to any of the ball handlers. I think that Brandon Ingram felt the same squeeze that you're talking about that like LeBron James did. Anyways. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, and so uh, that's one thing that kept showing up over and over again on tape is everybody was just like one step closer to LeBron wherever they were, right? And so, well, and you know those... too. Sorry to jump in here, but no, go for it. Go but for LeBron it. is always looking second level, right? Yeah, and so he's not necessarily concerned about the man in front of him, even if, as you said, his ability to get by that that initial defender may have been a little bit more compromised this season than, than in past seasons. But some of the times you were wondering why, like why did LeBron settle for that right. three point pointer there? But I guarantee if you went back and looked at the tape, that's what I've been doing. You yes. would see yes. that the second and third defenders are basically cheating and he's, He's playing chess out there, right? Mm -hmm. He knows where the help is. He knows who the shooter is that the defender is going to leave to help on him. And he's making these calculations with his supercomputer basketball brain, mm -hmm. right? That says, okay, it's probably a better shot for me to shoot this 24-footer with a guy sagging off of me than yes. it is to try to put my head down get by a defender that's already laying off of me only to drive into a second or third defender because the help is already cheating towards me in, that's exactly in a way that is, I Harris. see it. That's exactly what it is, man. And there were very few times where LeBron tried to drive on a guy and it didn't work out. That was not the way that he was not beating switches last year. It wasn't a matter of like, oh, I'm trying to take Carl Anthony Towns off the dribble and I can't do it. It was, he was deciding to take that step back shot where he steps back to his left and usually takes a three on that, right? So that's something, I do think that there were some times where he could have done it and maybe he's, you know, managing his fatigue and, and you know, all of that stuff, but in-game in load not, management, in-game load management. Exactly. Yeah. But I do think more often than not from looking at what everything else was going on, it's like, you could see a lack of trust from him in that too, where like LeBron and Cleveland, if that's Corver right there, first off, nobody's taking that extra step off of him or love uh, or, or, or J.R. Smith or yeah. Kevin Love, right? All those guys. 
But if they do, LeBron's going to throw one of those missile jump passes, right? Where he, you know, he jumps and gets it overhead and gets that pass going downhill. And before the guy can close out, you're given a really good three-point shooter, an open shot. He didn't trust the shooters in that type of way. So he decided that, and again, it was a decision, not an incapability. The thing about LeBron, that's one thing that I've been really encouraged about from watching a lot of tape over the last couple of weeks is and, and really diving back into a season that I didn't enjoy that as much as I wanted to um, and just being like, oh, no, LeBron still got it. Because one of the things is like LeBron still LeBron is still big, like he's still really fast for a guy his size. But his pet move is he's going to drive to his left, whether this is in transition, isolation off of a pick and roll. If he can get driving to his left, he's in business because he's going to drive to his left and he'll make that left-handed layup if you don't contain on him. But what he really wants to do is plant that foot in the ground spin. and spin back to his right. Uh, spin back Whether to it's in transition, that's exactly right. And so like, he's going to be doing that when he's 40 years old if he wants to because he's still big and he can handle the ball. Like, you don't have to be particularly fast. And so it's kind of the craft of LeBron's game as he's getting older is starting to emerge more and more. And watching the tape on him, I was like, oh, LeBron hasn't really lost it at all. It's He was in a crap situation in terms of the construction of the roster, right? And that's no slight to the young guys or anything, but we can all ad well, admit well, even they, it, they weren't shooters, right? So, that wasn't their game. So... I just see it as this. Defense is all about what are our choices and how are we going to limit the best player on the other team? And every head coach in the NBA is basically going to say, no, these other Lakers are going to beat me, <laughs> right? Every uh -huh. single time. Mm -hmm. And so it's not even necessarily like, when we talk about the roster construction, the roster construction could have actually even been guys who are technically better shooters than what the Lakers have. Mm. I think that those guys were still going to have to prove it in a new situation with LeBron James. Like Part of what LeBron experienced over the course of his time in Miami over a four-year period and then in his second stint in Cleveland over the next four-year period was, are the teammates actually going to make us pay enough that we cannot then send extra attention at LeBron in these sort of like predetermined ways that we just described a few minutes ago? Can we afford to do that? And over the course of time, that second Cleveland stint especially, they couldn't. At first, it was one roster, but then it's, okay, we've added J.R. Smith, and now we've added Kyle Korver, and now Kyrie Irving has developed even more, and then they had Kevin Love already. And so by the time that you got to 2016, 2017, 2018, it was, oh no, like, there are no good answers here with mm -hmm. LeBron James on the court. And the Lakers were just not, they were in those nascent stages right, of trying to build something up last season, and the players never proved it. And so just like any other good coach would do, they're going to say, oh, you haven't proven it yet? Well, then, sorry, we're not changing anything until you actually do. This season, I have a feeling that it's going to be very similar for a lot of the players who are not named Anthony Davis. Anthony yeah. Davis carries that 
cachet. He carries that reputation. And so if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are running a pick and roll and Anthony Davis pops to to the three-point line, a guy is going to close out on him when he shows that ball fake because he's a threat to hit that three-pointer, right? right. Like the Lakers could run that same exact play with Kyle Kuzma and the defense is going to close out short every single time. So this is the first time in LeBron's career where there's another player on his team that even has an argument for being the best player on the team ahead of LeBron, right? You describe those situations where it's like, do I choose to send more attention to LeBron or do I choose to send attention to this other guy? And the answer is almost always going to be to send the more attention toward LeBron. It's not as obvious of a coaching decision for opponents this year. Like it's very plausible that Anthony Davis has a better year than LeBron James does this year. I'm not trying to pit them against each other. They're both Lakers and that's friggin' great, right? All I'm saying, what I want to ask you is like, what does that mean in a functional sense to have a guy that is at least like, close to the same level as LeBron for probably the first time in LeBron's career. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting to see. I would feel, I guess I would start to question things more if Davis just wasn't such the perfect big man compliment for LeBron, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so... Wait, so how, how is that? How do you think he's the perfect compliment for LeBron? Well, Davis is a great finishing big man at all three levels of the floor, when you look at a guy like Kevin Love, for example, so let's so let's contrast Kevin Love to, or even Chris Bosh as well, because I think both sort sort of fit the same mold. Their biggest asset to LeBron was their ability to space the floor as shooters, right? And so mm-hmm. you could run pick and roll with LeBron and either Kevin Love or Chris Bosh, and most of the time what was going to happen was those guys were going to pop in mm-hmm. order to provide spacing for LeBron then to hopefully try to turn the corner or then provide an outlet pass as a release valve in order to get an open three-pointer when LeBron drew defensive attention. The beauty of Anthony Davis is he's not an elite three-point shooter the way that, like, Kevin Love was and Chris Bosh became during their time as teammates when when they were in Miami, but he's a threat from from out there. So when Davis pops, he's going to provide similar gravity to those guys just because he's going to put the defense into rotation when when he's out there. But what Davis does do that Love and Bosh did not do is be basically one of the best, if not the best, lob threat big men mm-hmm. in the entire league. And so LeBron, LeBron's so great because he excels as a speed player when getting downhill. So when he turns the corner and, and he sees daylight, he's going to go right to the front of the rim and he's going mm-hmm. to he's gonna dunk the ball. Yeah. But what makes LeBron special as a pick and roll player is he understands pace and tempo as yeah. well. And so he can come off the pick and roll and he can hang dribble and mm-hmm. he can put his defender in jail and then he can sort of scoot his way into the lane <laughs> and keep a passing angle open 
For and it's going to be a lot of like one-handed lobs to AD who just yes. his elevator gets off on a different floor than everyone else does, right? And they can replicate sort of like what Houston does between James Harden and Clint Capella, right? Where Harden very much plays that very much like put my defender in jail style when coming off of the pick and roll as well and he keeps a parallel line with the role man in 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 order to always keep that lob threat available to him Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. lebron's going to be able to do the same thing with anthony davis now imagine if clint capella was also a guy who could pop to the three-point line (laughs) hit the (laughs) three-point shot and then off of that because he could hit the three-point shot put the ball on the ground himself yes and then attack yes. a closeout and get yes. all the way into the paint and finish with with authority have a wonderful floater game right and yes. davis probably like, has the best touch for a big man on, bro, on lebron, get, lebron gets trapped all the time on pick and rolls all the time to prevent all of the stuff that you just described you hit anthony davis on the short roll you got a four on three with the dude that can put the ball on the deck hit those floaters can dunk on your head or kick it out to the three-point shooter on there like teams are are gonna make have to make some very difficult decisions on how to defend laker ball screens this year especially with lebron james and anthony davis for all of the reasons that, that you're saying right here this is where the synergy between the two and how they can help each other I just don't think either player has had this exact type of pairing at any point in their career. And mind you, Mm -hmm. LeBron James has had some great teammates, man. Like, I'm not going to doubt, like you had said, Davis is probably the closest competition that that LeBron has had in in terms of being measured as as an equal. He wasn't (laughs) quite yet prime, but like, he played with basically prime Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade, yeah. Right? I mean, that, that speaks to how good LeBron was at that point, right? Yes, it, it speaks more to how good LeBron was right, rather exactly. than the difference between Wade and, like, what Anthony Davis is, right? That's right. But That's right. there was also sort of the replication of skill sets between LeBron right. and Wade. They weren't that as complimentary it, as this could be. Yes. Davis is just going to give something to, to LeBron as a finisher that is something he's never really had before, especially at the big man position. But from a playmaking standpoint, LeBron can actually help Davis. Everything that you just said and the scenario that we just talked about with pick and roll sense energy between the two, the second defender almost always has to show on LeBron, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just a given. And so what's the pass that's always there when the second defender is in a drop coverage as a, Second defender's almost always in a drop coverage against LeBron. Mm-hmm. What pass is there? You've got, so for, you mean for AD? Yes, the pass from LeBron to AD. You've got that pocket pass available right there. You've got the vertical threat over the top, and you've got the pick and pop right there. Those are your three AD options. And LeBron's able to deliver that with a hook pass, with a bounce pass behind the back. It's just like, it's the full package. It's the full package between So the when we're talking about Anthony Davis within the, within the context of him being a playmaker, LeBron <laughs> can help Davis yeah. by consistently throwing that pocket pass, right, to create the three on two on the backside Mm -hmm. where Davis is on the short roll with a defender who is either stepping up to get in front of him because he has to stop Davis's drive to, to the basket. And then it's 
two wing shooters on one side of the floor mm-hmm. with Davis with the ball in his hand and a single defender who's tasked with guarding both of those wings. And that's where Davis's playmaking, I feel like, this season can yes. take a big leap. And it's one of the areas where I'm super excited for Davis. I think Davis averaged three and a half assists last se- last season, and and I think that was a career high. Davis could probably average a full assist or even close to five assists next season mm-hmm. if the Lakers actually run a heavy dose of pick and roll next mm-hmm. year or run same side actions between yeah. him and LeBron because the gravity that both of them are going to draw when they're in involved in same side actions is going to be so great that if Davis gets down where his reads are He's going to be able to start flinging the ball around the court. And Davis is 26 going in. He's 26. He'll be 27 next year. That is the age, I feel like, where big men really start to understand where all the passing angles are. That's right. If they're not natural passers, that's when Mm -hmm. like Shaq started to like, oh, you're going to double team me? Well, I know where all the reads are. It's when Tim Duncan got really good good at it as well. Those guys went from being sort of like, oh, one to one and a half to one turnover or assist to turnover ratio guys to being, okay, every read that they're making is is almost spot on. It doesn't mean that all of those turn turn into assists, but the reads are so much better. And that's where I'm excited for Anthony Davis. There's so much pressure on the front of the rim. It's no wonder that a bunch of shooters were like, yeah, I'll sign with you guys, right? Like they're going to eat this year, man. Oh, this is exciting. I'm, I, I can't wait. Um, it's great to be talking basketball again. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll talk about Boogie and JaVale on the back end of this. But first, when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where, where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, and then enter the promo code BLUE. All right, my man, so we covered AD, got all hot and bothered over on my end, kind of fantasizing about what that's going to look like. But that's not all Lakers have in terms of playmaking. They also added DeMarcus Cousins, who had an interview yesterday, had his uh, conference call introducing himself to Lakers media, and then did an interview televised with Spectrum in which he's looking very svelte. And it's, uh, you know, man, if he's in good shape, (laughs) that dude can play, man. That's not, you know, it's very rare you get a talent like that at that type of contract. And if he's in good shape in year two coming back from that Achilles injury, which is typically where guys start to get back to where they were, he said his quad is 100%. He wants to play 82 games. Man, if Boogie's right, that changes the ceiling of this team. 
Now, him and Anthony Davis have history together, right? That's probably a big part of the reason why he decided to come here on a cheap contract rather than go somewhere else. I've been watching some video on this, and, and my girlfriend Jeannie's been helping chop footage lately, which has been awesome. And she was uh, going over the footage of how they interacted together. And it was when they were together, AD had something like 12 or 15 assists to Boogie, but Boogie had like 60 or 70 assists to AD. Yes. So he's a guy that that's really interesting, different type of playmaker. Now, I do want to point out, they are on the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of turn turnovers. DeMarcus Cousins makes some of the most frustrating turnovers you're ever going to see, especially with as talented of a passer as he is. Anthony Davis only averaged two turnovers per game, which is remarkable for how much he touched the ball as a scorer and as a passer. What from, you know, you watch a lot of Golden State, and obviously Boogie's one of those guys we're all familiar with to some degree or another. What are your impressions of Boogie as a playmaker? First of all, for all the talk that we made about Anthony Davis being, you, you know, like a great ball handler— Cousins isn't necessarily a great ball ball handler, but what he really is is someone who's really comfortable handling the ball mm -hmm. yes. all over the floor. When you talk about like ball handling with Anthony Davis, like he's breaking out sham gods, <laughs> like he's going between his legs and like behind his back and between his legs. He he's he is he has guard skill as as yeah. a ball handler. Boogie Cousins is not that, but he is super comfortable operating with the ball. In all kinds of different sit well, situations, like grab and go situations, in in transition, handling the ball at the top, well, well, top of the key. One of the stats that always amazed me is that in like Boogie's last one or two seasons in Sacramento, he was one of the league leaders in drives per game. Right, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, so be because he would get the ball out at the top of the key, and th and this was especially true when he started to become more of a three point shooter defenses would respect the three and so then he's putting the ball on the ground and he's getting to the basket the great thing about cousins as a playmaker is he really does enjoy making the pass which i think leads to a lot of those turnovers that you were talking talking about he most of those turnovers let me jump in real quick just from sure. watching the tape most of those turnovers are like needle in a haystack you know trying to thread the needle type yes. of plays where it's like he's just trying to do too much like the talent's there it's just a decision making like you know low low or high reward high risk risk type plays yeah like low percentage passes and yes. yeah. the home run style pass and yeah i'll be very interested to see if that's just a permanent fixture in boogie's game or if as he mm -hmm. ages even more he starts to get a better feel for when and how to make those types of reads it's it's very interesting to me because when you look at Boogie's career high in assists per game, as a center, he averaged 5.4 assists one year, which is quite good. He averaged you, five turnovers that year, too. <laughs> yeah, that was a season he played with Anthony Davis, right? Uh -huh, like right. the full season before the Achilles injury. I'll be very interested to see how Boogie operates within the flow of the Lakers offense and what sort of lineup structure he appears in. Because like most other players, a player of Cousins cal caliber or whoever else, they're going to perform better the better the talent is around them as well, mm -hmm. right? Boogie's going to be able to rack up assists if he's passing to Anthony Davis a lot. <laughs> Right. Yes. It mm -hmm. what what I'm very interested in seeing is 
is if that turns into like high-low actions, if it turns into like double high pick and rolls, right? Where like Boogie mm -hmm. is either a dive man or the pop man, and then the other big man does the opposite of him. If there is sort of screen the screener actions that where Boogie ends up with the ball and then he's he's picking defenses apart or looking to make passes off of actions that are being run on well on the weak side. One of the things that prompted me to write the piece that I wrote it for in Blue and Gold is that I just can't recall a team besides, I guess, the Pelicans from two years ago having two big men quite like Davis and Cousins who are so comfortable operating with the ball in their hands at the top mm -hmm. of the key and who could really be the fulcrum of an offense within the context of plays can unfold in front of them and they are very much capable of not only making the read to make the pass, but if things start to go awry, they also have the skill level to then create their own shot from right. that position as big men. And they're also different types of bigs, right? Like Boogie is the bully and AD is the guard that grew eight inches, right? So the way they can play off of each other with those high lows and with just from different spots on the court, I am so fascinated by this team in that, you know, it's going to be 2020 and it's a very guard dominated league. And this is going to be one of the things I'm going to ask at AD's press conference, probably to Vogel and or Palenka, but like, can you win this way? If you can, it's going to be with this type of talent. You know what I mean? Because, like, we're talking about these two bigs. We're not even considering LeBron James as a big, right? Just yes. think of the size of these people, man. How the, how the hell—sorry, I almost cursed. How the hell are the Rockets going to defend this team? You know what I mean? Like, the league is so geared towards small ball— now, there are going to be times where I don't know how Boogie defends on the perimeter against a team that goes five out, but there's just such a wave after wave after wave of different, like, LeBron is a big man, just in the most literal sense of the word. He is a big human being, even in the context of the NBA. Boogie is a bully, and AD is the type of big that he is. How do you stop all of that? Or is it just so far away from being able to work in 2020 where even if you've got the best of the best of those type of guys, are you not going to be able to get it done? Yeah, I'm very interested in seeing how how all of this goes too. This is where the roster construction that the Lakers achieved or tried to build towards and surrounding these guys is super interesting to me as well. Every other name on the roster is someone who is basically going to be a spot-up threat besides, like, Rajon Rondo, right? Right. And an unknown there is Alex Caruso because his volume sure. is so low. But Right, he was great on low volume, and JaVale is not a, you know, stretch five, but he's yeah, able to yeah, finish but, but he's that, another yeah. center, right? So I'm not even right, counting right. him necessarily because you're not going to see lineups with Boogie, LeBron, and AD on the floor, and then here comes JaVale McGee. Right. Right. Um, right. But with those three guys on the floor, you will see Danny Green. Mm -hmm. You could see Quinn Cook and likely will mm -hmm. see Quinn Cook. You could see Jared Dudley. You could see Kyle Kuzma. You could see uh, Daniels. Right. So right. so all of these players, KCP, Avery Bradley, all of these players are capable spot up shooters and 
all of those actions that you can build off of big men who are comfortable handling the ball at the top of the floor, who are comfortable setting screens, both pin downs and wide pin downs. They can run floppy action with those guys as screeners so guards can run baseline off of that. They're super comfortable in pick and roll situations as roll men, as pop men. They really are just supremely skilled big men who can not only score out of those situations, but can pass out out of them as well. So to basically stock your roster with the remaining guard spots and forward spots as guys who were finishers is a super interesting strategy to me. And that could have been dictated by the market, right? Or it could have been an actual plan that was mm-hmm. put together. Like, I don't know, maybe that's a question for Rob Polinka, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the end, this is the roster that they've built where the playmaking talent really is concentrated mostly in players who are like 6'9 and above. And that's just so weird in mm-hmm. today's NBA, especially. That's right. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, I, I, I think a big key to this is Boogie getting his three ball back. He was a mid-30s to high-30s three-point shooter on pretty good volume prior to this last year. Whenever you got a leg injury and you know he rushed back from a couple of them over the course of last season, shot I think 27% or something like that from three-point range last year. If he can get back to where he was prior to his injury in that respect, even if he doesn't get some of his physical capabilities back, I think that's going to be a really important thing for this team in terms of maintaining spacing because that's one of the primary offensive issues with going big, right, is that that you just aren't able to capitalize on this on modern spacing. I don't think Boogie's going to be able to cover the pick and roll defensively in a way that like I think Boogie can get played off of the court even if he's at his best. I don't think he's going to be able to switch onto guards or hedge particularly high in a league where you really need guys to be able to do that. And that's okay. I still think you can get, you know, good number of minutes out of out of Boogie, but I think he can get played off of the court. But if he can space the floor on the offensive end, I think that'd have a big impact. Well, well, this, uh, well, well, just one last point about the defensive stuff. This is where Vogel's history as basically being a drop coverage guy, I think, is really going to play to the strengths of Boogie and then JaVale, right? Mm, good point. Davis can obviously do anything. So he can play drop coverage. He can switch. And, and, and I think in late game situations, if Davis is the center, the Lakers probably will switch more defensively Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i think over the course of of an 82 game season my guess is that like his pacers teams the lakers are probably going to be a fairly conservative defensive team that are going to play to their strengths which is their size they're going to try to keep the ball in front of them and force teams into the mid-range to shoot mid-range shots and challenge shots at the rim and then recover to the three-point line to challenge shots beyond the arc in order to then funnel guys back to where all that size is. And No, that's a, that's a good point. And in those situations, I think that Boogie can actually be okay. I think one of his main issues in Golden State defensively was that that was not the Warriors' principal style of playing, right? Like, they wanted mm-hmm. the switch. Mm-hmm. 
they right. they That's were super comfortable even throwing Looney out there and saying because Looney's really good at it, but basically we're gonna switch everything and with cousins in there, they sort of had to try to accommodate that in ways that, that didn't always line up with what their strengths were as an overall team. That's a good point. And he will probably suit, you know, what the Lakers want to do defensively. Although I do think you need to have some switchability. But if that's the case, you take Boogie off the court, you put AD at the five, LeBron at the four, you're on the road to being where you want to be. Uh, one last guy on this. He's not one of the playmakers on this, but the Lakers re-signed JaVale McGee. And one of the things I like about this signing and just about the totality of the five position is that Boogie becomes a luxury in that if Boogie does have physical, I think you should plan on Boogie having some physical issues. Knock on wood, let's hope that he doesn't, but I think it's foolish to go into the season saying we really need Boogie to play 24 minutes a game and play 75 games. If it happens, great, but it's not smart to plan on that. Signing JaVale allows Boogie to be a luxury. How does he fit into the overall, you know, we're, we're previewing the bigs today. So how does he fit amongst that that trio? Well, I think that he can sort of be half of what Dave Davis is in terms of he's going to replicate the lob threat and and, and do all of the stuff that JaVale did last year, which is what a big part of what AD's role is going going to be but also but ad's role is also going to be like super expanded beyond that right and sure. so i'm perfectly happy to bring javel back i'm actually in terms of a pairing with davis i'm not sure how much they're going to play together I, I yeah i think they fit less than like ad and boogie one factoid if if i can jump in with before i forget it anthony davis and demarcus cousins together on the court in New Orleans without Rajon Rondo were like a plus 10.4 net rating. And they were like a minus 1.3 when Rondo played with them. Now, after Boogie got hurt, Rondo played really well and him and AD were like a plus six after they got hurt. But I, there's some notion out there that Boogie and, and AD didn't, didn't play particularly well together. I actually dispute that. And I think that there were other issues there, especially from watching the tape. So I just wanted to get that out there. But I do think that AD and JaVale is probably a clunkier fit than Boogie and, and AD. Yeah, I think that AD then mostly becomes like a perimeter-based four. Be, mm-hmm. be, because JaVale is pretty much going to be a pick-and-roll dive man and then hanging around the dunker spot. And what we saw last year is that that type of player can be super useful, even with like LeBron James on the court. But if you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, both of those guys who were sort of rim attacking players, the resulting lack of spacing is going to be tough for those guys, Mm -hmm. especially when the player who is going to be naturally helping is the guy who's tasked with the guarding JaVale McGee, who's just going to be a bigger guy, right? And Mm -hmm. so so the lane's just going to be that much more clogged. It's one thing if it's like a shooting guard or a small forward who's trying to help on Anthony Davis at the rim, but it's not going to be. It's going to be, you know, a 6'10 guy or a 7-foot guy. Right. I like JaVale. I think that he's going to be a really good... I think he can sort of replicate what he did last year in terms of role. Obviously, I don't think the raw production is going to be there. He was a big time. He played big time minutes last year, considering he had not been a heavy minutes player for the previous, what, like six or seven years of his career. So so I think he'll be slotted correctly. I think keeping him 
happy. I'm not sure what that's supposed to look like, but on a team with bigger aspirations and who will hopefully yeah, be I mean, in like the top half of the conference, that shouldn't be a problem. So I like to veil just, just fine. I think that his lob threat ability and the vertical spacing aspect is while not being a playmaker on, on his own. I think that that in and of itself is, is going to create opportunities for players on the perimeter who are going to better be able to take advantage of the space that they'll get from that than last year's team. Yeah. I think he's probably a two shift guy on this roster, ideally. And if Boogie gets hurt or something, that can get bumped up. But a guy in that 12 to 16 minute per game type of range, um, I, you know, I was thinking maybe he'd be the type that could start the first and third quarters. This is something that the Warriors have done, uh, at least over a couple of their title runs, was have a guy like that, whether it be Bogut or somebody else, that just does those first shifts to start the half and usually doesn't come back in. But again, I think that puts too many minutes with him next to AD, which we already covered in terms of not loving yeah uh i i do think that you know he he had a really really good year last year alongside lebron i think that um he is more dependent upon a perimeter shot creator in a way that like i don't think you could play boogie and him together right and i don't think that as we covered ad and him work well together so is there a way to get him minutes with lebron but not next to ad you know that might be a a, a tricky one but um and, and in terms of his if he becomes upset with his role and all that, I really hope we've got enough veterans on this team now and yeah. high enough aspirations to just like, he's not a good enough player to be the type that's causing issues on that respect, especially this year with where the Lakers are, are looking to go. So I hope they get that in check, but he does provide value uh, in even if it's just in term, uh, terms of depth in boogie insurance, so to speak. Yeah. I'd also be very in interested in sort of seeing um, I think that where there might be potential for JaVale is not necessarily in lineups with LeBron, although that's ideal, but even lineups where he's maybe paired more with Rondo, if Rondo is going to get backup point guard minutes. Mm hmm where they can run some some pick and roll together and then maybe have like a forward tandem of um, Kuzma and Jared Dudley, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then maybe slot in next to Avery Bradley. Like you had mentioned that your preference is to have one of Davis or LeBron on the floor at at all times. And that would be my preference too. But, but if you end up with a unit that is all bench bench players. I think that sort of lineup with some versatility at the forward spots, a defensive player like Bradley who could maybe defend point guards instead of Rondo, where Rondo can be maybe more of a roamer on a lesser perimeter player as like a lesser offensive threat perimeter player. I think that might be a path to success for JaVale as well. But in the end... I think the most ideal version of this Lakers team is that JaVale's your third center, and that means on some nights he won't play at all. Mm -hmm. Especially when Anthony Davis can play center for extended minutes and should play well, center. And, and should be playing center, right? Yes. That's the thing. We know he can do it. He should be doing it. Like, that's the best version. The best version of this team probably has Anthony Davis at the five. Yeah, and I think 
you you know and i think that we'll get into this more in in future pods when when we do more sort of like holistic looks at well at the roster and start to get into more lineup discussions and and what potential rotations might look like and things that we'd like to see on that side but when it comes right down to it you have 96 minutes between power forward and center right Davis mm-hmm. is probably going to be in the 34 to 36 minute range, right? So that leaves mm-hmm. that leaves 60 minutes left at those positions. Kyle Kuzma's gun gun to get some some of those minutes. If Cousins is healthy, Cousins is going to get some of those minutes. You have to figure that LeBron James is not going to be a full time point guard, so LeBron James is going to get some of those minutes. Right, Jared like, Dudley will get a few minutes. Jared Dudley yeah. is going to get some 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 of those minutes. When when it comes right down to it, if you're playing Dudley at power forward, or you're playing Kuzma at power forward, or LeBron is getting minutes at power forward, then in the end, man, like how many minutes is your third center getting? Yeah, not too many, not too many. Well. This uh this episode got me fired up, man. Lakers got a lot of talent in amongst those bigs, and it's going to be a really interesting to see how Vogel and company implement that. Um, I hope there's a <laughs> an offensive uh, X's and O's guy on the bench next year that can help maximize this because this is a an unconventional team, as was last year's team, but this year's squad makes more sense than last year's un- unconventional team. So if there's a bully ball team that can get it done and rise to the top of the NBA mountain, this is going to be that squad. So we'll be it'll be interesting to see if Lakers are able to do that. And next episode, we'll preview the wings and see where the Lakers are on that front. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound to Vladi. Nice rebound to Vladi. Oh, magic ahead and go to face. Goes under and scores. With a passing ovation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.